From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we welcome you to the uh, Thursday edition of Open Line here on EWTN Radio, the Global Catholic Network. I'm Tom Price, uh, Jack Williams away today. Uh, very delighted to be uh, with our Thursday host, America's favorite Dominican, Father Brian Milady. How are you, sir, today? Just fine, thank you. How are you? Doing very, very well. And you're not uh, back at the home base there. You were out on the road, right? Coming to you from St. Timothy's Paris in Chantilly, Virginia. Yes. Beautiful. And then you're you're heading out. You're going elsewhere until uh, you get back home, right? Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Many places. Yeah. Tomorrow's Florida. Well, so. we are blessed to have you on this program. Uh, and let me give you the phone number because we, we do get kind of busy on Open Line Thursdays. It is 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father Brian, 833 833- 288-3986. If you're listening outside of North America, let me give you that uh, country code, which is for most countries num- the number one, and then 205-271-2985. So today, Father, you want to talk about the virtue of justice, and I say I'm very glad of that. Yes, so am I. <laughs> uh, something we don't have much of today. Yeah, yeah. I uh, talked about prudence before Ash Wednesday, so I wanted to hit each of the cardinal virtues, sort of. Good. All right. So justice, of course, is the most important virtue, not in the sense of the beginning of virtue or the foundational virtue. That's prudence. But it's the most important virtue because, as the ancients used to say, good men are known chiefly by their justice. The word justitia, or justice, the first part of it, J-U-S or I-U-S, comes in the Latin word for right. And justice is about giving rights. How does someone become worthy of rights? What's the origin or source of right? Well, there are basically three sources. The w- most important comes in the natural law by the very fact of our creation. We have certain rights from God, for example, the right to life. Then there's what's called the positive right, which are rights that are written down by human beings and conferred by human governments. And then we have the right to vote as an example of that. And then we have what's called the, it's impossible to translate, the right of nations. And it basically refers to something that's never been written down exactly, But in order to guarantee that people would have certain goods, then most societies got together and guaranteed these by certain institutions. Nobody discussed it exactly among the, it wasn't like um, international law. It was just throughout the mists of the formation of the human race, right to property, private property is an example of that. Now, In order for a person to form their souls properly, they have to give 
those rights to someone else. And I emphasize giving to someone else because the ancient theory of justice, which was in vogue for thousands of years, has been sort of supplanted by the modern theory of justice, and they're very different. When Thomas Aquinas or Aristotle or even Cicero or someone like that would define justice, they'd say it was the constant and perpetual will. So it's in the will, and it's constant and perpetual. It isn't just a matter of, well, I did this once, and that absolves me from any future doing. To give to another, I emphasize the other, his due, and his due would be his right, whatever his right is, whether it's conferred by human beings, whether it's conferred by nature, or whether it's generally developed by societies. Of course, since natural right is the primary right, if some given right, for example, the right to abortion, contradicts the natural right, it's not a right. You can't confer such a right. No human society can confer the right to murder another human being, even if they're helpless and in the womb. So it has to be based on the truth of human nature. Okay. And there's something inviolable about the human person. Now, ancient theory then is not about me getting my rights. It's about giving other people their rights. This is what led Socrates to say that if you don't get your rights, you suffer, but you're not an unjust person. But if you don't give others their rights, you're an evil man. So the ancient theory emphasizes that justice is always about the other. The modern theory basically is it's all about me getting my rights. So it's quite self-centered, and I don't have to worry about giving other people their rights. I just get mine. That's mm -hmm. it. So the way this is normally put in popular language is in the ancient world, rights conferred duties. You had rights that gave you certain duties that you had to recognize. Whereas in the modern world, it's, it's all about duties. It's all about rights, but no duties. There's no duties whatsoever to anyone else. Now, justice is a virtue that is absolutely necessary to maintaining the equilibrium in society. And though there are gradations and different kinds of justice, the most basic kind is quid pro quo. To give to another is due, sure. which is normally determined by objectivity. When it comes to fortitude or temperance, the person's temperament comes into it, not in justice. It doesn't matter how you feel about it doesn't matter what your temperament is about it. You are bound to observe a certain mean. And if you don't, then you lack in your soul mm. uh, a unity and order, which is necessary for you to be a happy human being. Okay. Well, we do appreciate that. Thank you for unpacking all that. It is uh, Open Line Thursday with uh, Father here on this uh, beautiful day here in Alabama on EWTN. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. I suggest call now while we got a couple lines open, and hopefully we can get you on today's program. Uh, Father, before we take a break, I want to get to a quick question here from Lourdes, who says, 
What is the definition of mortal and venial sin? Uh, mortal sin is any freely willed human action with full knowledge, which in a serious way contravenes the moral law. Venial sin is any action which either you don't have fullness of knowledge or fullness of consent, or it's like something very slight. So, for example, most normally to steal an apple is considered to be a venial sin. Uh-huh. To steal $1,000 is considered to be a mortal sin. Okay. Um, and, and mortal sins do admit, uh, sins do admit, some are, not all, uh, they don't, uh, not all sins are only mortal or only venial. They admit different degrees. So that's why theft, for example, theft can be a venial sin or a mortal sin. Lying can be a venial sin or a mortal sin. But there are certain sins which in and of themselves are always mortal sins. Abortion would be an example. Uh, murder would be an example. Mm-hmm. And unless you're murdering someone in the sense of second degree murder or manslaughter where you lack consent or you lack knowledge, but the action itself is seriously contrary to the moral law. All right. Very good. Thank you uh, for that question, Lourdes. Here's one from Pete real quick. Has the Catholic Church wandered into the territory of the Pharisee with its microanalysis of sin and statutes? Oh, this is the famous thing about, I think, being we're always talking about rules and sin. Look, the reason we talk about sin mm-hmm. is because it affects how you relate to God and grace. So it's the love of God we're actually interested in, in the positive sense. And real Catholic ethics emphasizes positive things like virtues. Now, of course, sin does interrupt that. Venial sin doesn't really interrupt it in a serious way, but it makes it less uh, uh, urgent or more. You make you more lukewarm in living the moral. Mm. But mortal sin is a serious rupture in a relationship with God. So the rules are not just rules. Things like our marriage laws, they're not just rules. They're actually expressions of what it means to be. Sure. All right, very good. And Pete, thank you so much uh, for your question today. Hey, lines are open here on Open Line Thursday at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open Line Thursday with our favorite itinerant Dominican preacher, Father Brian O'Lady here on EWTN. Do stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Calls are coming in right now here on Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. If you have a question for Father, we'd love to hear from you at 833 833- 288-EWTN. Calls are coming in uh, right now, as we mentioned, 833-288-3986. 
Before we get to our next question, let me tell you about a wonderful new book now available from EWTN Publishing, You Shall Stand Firm, Preserving the Faith in an Age of Apostasy by Father William Casey of the Fathers of Mercy. This riveting book is a clarion call to Catholics to begin to truly understand and live the faith, to speak the truth, and to share it. You'll find four fundamental facts of our existence and four ways to experience God's healing, peace, and mercy. Here's number one. Challenging and enlightening, the book exposes the horrors of communism, the ideology that is visibly engulfing the West, even as we speak. Number two, it reveals the truth about critical race theory and its dark objective to sabotage America's foundation. Number three, it offers genuine solutions to the church's moral crises and vocations shortage. And finally, it provides authentic answers to tough questions on marriage and sexuality, based on church teachings, of course. It's a great book. Father William Casey, the author, You Shall Stand Firm, the title, Preserving the Faith in an Age of Apostasy by Father William Casey. It's available right now at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic, shop Catholic, EWTNRC.com. While we're doing Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady, Father, here's a question that came in from Greta. Why is it necessary to believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. Why does that concept give Mary a an exalted state? What do you think, Father? The perpetual virginity of Mary is a reflection on the fact that her son, the Savior of the world, is so all-encompassing in his save, saving of our souls, even preparing our bodies for resurrection, that it should be the final and complete thing that we think about and meditate upon. In fact, in heaven, of course, that's what we'll primarily do. Mm. Emphasizes that Mary's whole life turns around her participation in salvation and redemption through her son. And so the perpetual virginity of Mary uh, uh, shows that she's totally focused only on him if she had other children, of course, she'd had to be focused on them, too. Also, it compromises the virgin birth in some way. It's true that she could have done the virgin birth and the others. Mm. But once you've got the Son of God as your kid, I mean, really, do you really need anything else? And, of course, uh, it also touches on the famous idea that St. Joseph was also a virgin. And also on the idea that to do something by vow is generally better than to do it without vow, and that Mary and Joseph both made vows of virginity. Now, the famous question of the Josephite marriage, they truly were married also, and as you know, if you make a promise never to consummate your marriage as a condition for marriage, that's invalid, Mm. the open conception. So the traditional answer to this is that Mary and Joseph made vows of virginity and embraced the marital covenant totally under the direction of divine providence. At the moment, for both of them, God had shown that he willed that they not have other children and that they not engage in sexuality. However, if at some time in the future God should change his mind uh, or desire them then to do it, they were open to that too. So the fact that they were open to whatever divine providence asked of them was uh, not made the uh, 
promise of virginity, not an impediment to the marital covenant. Okay. And uh, Greta, thank you so much for your call. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady in progress here on EWTN Radio. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Father, we just got a call from Susan. Didn't want to go on the air, but she she was, she was heard you mention that you're going to be in Florida, and she's wondering if you're going to be at a church mission in Florida, and if so, where? Yes, I'll be giving a parish mission at St. Gregory's Parish in Plantation, Florida, which I believe, I've never been there, is a suburb of Fort Lauderdale. Okay, very good. So there you go, Susan. Uh, perhaps you and uh, Father Milady will uh, see each other there in the plantation. Here's a question now from Drew. Why would God put Abraham to the point of almost sacrificing Isaac? The uh, question of the sacrifice of Isaac is an extremely important one because it demonstrates two things. The first is all the things that it turns around the sacrifice of Isaac is like a very distant prophecy of the sacrifice of God of his own son on the cross. Because if you remember, as he wanted to know where the lamb of sacrifice was, and they yeah. said, well, he, he's here. And then, <laughs> And then he, he gathers the wood, and that's supposed to be like the cross. The second reason is, that not only is this the most important thing to Abraham, is to have a son, and the promises of God, which shows his faith in God, but also Canaanites used to practice infant sacrifice. And so when Abraham was ready to do it, and the angel stayed his hand at the last moment, it demonstrated that God did not approve of infant sacrifice. And it was not a part of the Jewish religion. Okay. Pre- appreciate that. And, uh, Drew, thank you so much for your question. Lines are open right now at EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. April wrote to us saying, I am in RCIA. I want to know how to get a closer relationship with Mother Mary. What do you think, Father? Okay. The first thing I would say is, look at the scriptures. Okay. I often talk to the evangelicals about this. One of my friends said, what's this Mary bit with you people? <laughs> and I said, well, you do, you do believe in scripture, right? Oh, yeah, literal interpretation. Oh, yeah, right. I said, well, it says two things in scripture. All generations will call me blessed, and blessed are you among women. That's all we're doing. Yeah. And they looked for a minute and he said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And as you know, um, I think Dr. Hahn has some reflections about how the queen mother was more important than the queen in the Hebrew court. <laughs> so our lady, you know, is the queen mother after all. Sure. And also the intimacy of her love for Christ and Christ's love for her, which of course is born in grace but it's also a natural intimacy of mother and child uh, will be uh, helpful to all of us in how to be a child of God. And as Christ is the head of the whole human race, Mary is the mother of the living, mother of the whole human race. And so I, I can say, I don't know, it's hard to explain to someone perhaps who wasn't raised a Catholic but all of us who were raised Catholic, I think even a lot of the people who have fallen away from the church, 
they still have a tender spot in their heart for Mary. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Even Please, Martin Luther had a great devotion to our lady. That's true. That's true. Uh, he never gave it up, even though his whole theory was against anybody being so blessed by grace. But he had a great devotion to Our Lady. Beautiful. April, thank you so much uh, for your call, or for your question, rather. Here's one now uh, from Brandy. Could you please explain the conflict between Peter and Paul? Somebody told me they were preaching two different Gospels. Oh, this is the circumcision thing, I think, or the the Jewish observance thing you're speaking okay. of. Uh, no, I don't think they were speak, preaching two different Gospels. Paul's difficulty with Peter was that Peter, for fear of human respect, had, you know, he wanted to be at peace with uh, uh, people who came from the Jewish religion. And so he kind of gave in to the idea that it might be okay for them to keep some of their traditions and Paul, of course, was adamant against this mm. because circumcision, for example, had been overcome by baptism. And the food thing, he had this, they had the revelation, you know, um, that all foods were clean. So to treat foods as unclean, like to abstain from pork, for instance, would have totally gone against what had been revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter was humble enough when he was corrected, he accepted it, and he, he didn't do it anymore. And Paul yeah. basically was going to be kind of hypocritical. But it, sometimes, you know, we need a brother's hand uh, to tell us if they're open to it. That you know, you're you're not exactly being true to your principles yeah. in this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, makes sense to me. Let's go to, uh, back to the phones right now. Here is Maria a first-time caller in Michigan, listening on the great Ave Maria radio. Hello, Maria. What's your, what's on your mind today? Okay, I would like you to clarify what the Church position is, if they have any, on file bankruptcy and stealing. What is the difference? Uh, okay. Bankruptcy and stealing? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, stealing is when you have the money, but you just won't give it. In other words, you're keeping things uh, that don't belong to you. Uh, bankruptcy is the idea that you can't repay them because you don't have them anymore. And so uh, you have to repay someone from whom you've taken something. That's true of loans as well as uh, yeah. as theft, uh, if it's possible. But nobody can be bound to the impossible. So if you can't repay it, then there's a mitigation in the right to private property about this. Now, of course, if you should become able to repay it, I believe, you know, I don't know a great deal about the law about this. I'm sorry, it's not my expertise. But I believe you liquidate the assets and then give a percentage back to the people. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, that's all you can give. How can they get blood out of a turnip, you know? Yeah. And, and, of course, you could go to jail, which is another issue mm-hmm. where you pay by your own suffering. But, no, bankruptcy is the idea that it's impossible for you to repay. So you repay what you can, full amount. Okay. Whereas theft is you just keep it and you don't have any interest in repaying it or resolving the people from mm. you take it from. Yeah. Maria, is that helpful for you? No, it didn't help at all. Because the people that I know that have filed bankruptcy are better off than I am, okay? And they were able to keep all their goods, everything they went to the store. 
Okay. That's, I don't think that's true of everyone, Maria. <laughs> it might be true of some of the people you know, but the world is a big place, you know. Yes, indeed. And, yes. Uh, so uh, I'm sorry it doesn't help you, but no one's bound to the impossible. So, okay. If they should get money, perhaps they could have a clause, I don't know, or something. Where should they get more money? They should try to pay it. Maria, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate yes. hearing from you today. In a moment, we're going to get to uh, Marcy, a first-time caller in Florida, and we've got a line open for you right now. Hey, that's why we call it Open Line Thursday. 833-288-EWTN is the number. 833-288-3986. Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Glad you're with us for Open Line Thursday here on EWTN with Father Brian Milady here to answer your questions at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Back to the phones in a second here. First of all, we'd like to congratulate three of our EWTN family members, all of them celebrating their 11th anniversary this week. Wow. Catholic Spirit Radio, that's in central Illinois. Good News Catholic Radio, that is in Rio Grande City, Texas, right there on the border, and Sacred Heart Radio in Plainview, Texas. So congratulations from all of us here at EWTN Radio. All right, let's go now to uh, Marcy, a first-time caller in Florida, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey, Marcy, what's on your mind today? Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. Okay, so um, I have been struggling with uh, men um, from a single standpoint of dating, and I've been, you know, having to try to explain to them, you know, the commandments say thou shalt not commit adultery, Mm -hmm. but they think that fornication isn't as serious, and so I'm running into this that it's common between Protestant and Catholic, and that they seem to think that God will understand and that it's not as serious than the, the adultery. Hmm. Well, I don't know who says fornication isn't as serious as adultery, because fornication is adultery. It's one form of adultery. Uh, adultery isn't just having sex with someone that's married to someone else, you know. And Jesus even says a woman, man who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her. And fornication is, as I understand, having sex with anyone to whom you're not married, even yourself. So uh, it's always a grave sin, and God does not understand, I'm sorry. I don't know who decided that, who speaks for God in that way, but Christ is quite clear about this fact, both in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Gospels, that this is not permitted. So uh, in dating, also, most people recognize the so-called trial marriage, or where people had sex before marriage or they've lived together before marriage, it sounds so enticing to say, well, well, let's try it out and see how it works, and then we'll commit ourselves if we can or if we mm-hmm. have to. Uh-huh. Um, most of, they say, that I'm, obviously I'm not married, but they say that that takes the um, whole ability to control yourself and to give yourself as a gift to another wholly and completely which the sexual aspect ratifies, 
out of the relationship. In other words, you put the cart before the horse. First, you have to give yourself completely and wholly in soul to the other, which is what happens when you promise never to separate. And then you ratify that with the sexual act. So to do that backwards um, questions the whole ability of sexuality to express interpersonal giving. And abstaining helps a person to learn this too. The famous actor Ricardo Montalban, who was, you know, Khan and Star Trek. Yeah. His wife at a certain point along the line were told that she couldn't conceive anymore because it would have uh, compromised uh, her life. Mm-hmm. So they both prayed about it. He used to make retreats a year, every year at the Jesuit retreat house in Los Angeles. And they decided that they would observe the church's teaching on this regarding natural family planning. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, when we didn't feel that we had to have sex and when we chose to space it out, Mm-hmm. And, and obviously we had to communicate just at least, you know, when the period is where we can have it or not. Um, every time we did experience the sexual act was like a second honeymoon. Wow. And so he said, you know, abstaining from things makes you appreciate it more. So abstaining from uh, sex before marriage helps you preserve the mystery of the other and also make sure that your commitment is honest. Yes. Beautiful thing there, Marcy. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, A question here from Linda. In Catholic marriage, do you have to be open to life? Is purposely avoiding pregnancy a sin? All right. Now, that depends on what you mean. You cannot make a condition for marriage, the fact that you will never have a child. That is an impediment to the consent. In fact, as you know, during the marital ceremony, of course, I haven't been to a wedding in a while, <laughs> but you ask if you're open to having children, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Does that mean you have to have a child the first time? Or does that mean you have to have the intention of having a child in every single sexual action? No. But the church highly recommends that you not exclude it at the beginning totally because A, you may never go back to it. B, people often use contraception to do this. And then when they want a child later, they discover they can't conceive. And, and C, it is a principal end of marriage. So, no, not in every single action do you have to have the intention of having a child. But you can't exclude it, like, say, for years so you can get your degree and have a house and a boat and all that business. Um, So it's very delicate the way you put this. Mm -hmm. But um, if you if you purposely state that you do not want children, then that's not a marriage. And it's a grounds for annulment, actually. Okay, very good. And uh, Linda, thank you so much for your question. Going now to uh, Nabil. Nabil is in Michigan. And uh, let me uh, click my thing here. Uh, yep, yeah, right. My, Nabil is listening to us on YouTube this afternoon. Nabil, what's on your mind today? Uh, yes, hi. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about the uh, bankruptcy question that was uh, there before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I would think that if if you were to let's say 
open a credit card or to borrow money with the intent of not paying it back by filing back bankruptcy, then that would be a form of stealing. But if yes, you're already yes. in debt, if you're already in debt and you simply can't pay back because of your financial situation, mm-hmm. then filing bankruptcy, that would be legit and not stealing. Well, yes, and people used to be sent to debtor's prison. Yeah. Know? And then they couldn't pay anybody anything and mm-hmm. they could, or even work. Um, so, no, it's an alternative to debtor's prison. Yes, indeed. I assume that the uh, bankruptcy laws, I don't really know this, but I assume that the fact that they're on the books demonstrates that the state really is interested in some of the investors at least getting some return on their investment. Sure. Nabil, appreciate you listening to us on YouTube today in Michigan. It is Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. If you call right now, we can probably get you on today's show. 833-288-EWTN is our number. 833-288-3986. Marcus wrote to us and says, uh, can you help me understand the Catholic view on justification? Oh, yes, very much so. Uh for Luther, justification was God overlooking your sins. Remember, you remained evil. So you were justified, but a sinner. And the image that is used, I don't think Luther necessarily used it, but uh, it seemed, it encapsulates his thought on the part of his followers. It's a lump of dung covered by snow. We're the dung. God just overlooks our sin. But we remain worthy of hell as far as we're concerned. But Christ just chooses to overlook that. The Father chooses to overlook that because it looks at Christ. Catholic justification is very different. We believe that when we are baptized, when the water touches our skin, that the Holy Spirit is introduced into the depths of our souls. So in sanctifying grace, we... uh, become a partaker of God's nature. We're elevated to be able to have a a conversation with the Holy Trinity on earth. And we're truly a holy creature. Now, we do have a tendency to sin, but that tendency is not efficacious. In other words, it doesn't always, it doesn't force us to sin, but we all have the weaknesses still that comes to us as a fruit of original sin, and if we give in to them, then we lose grace. But we can't stop being a member of Christ in that. So one of the things that expresses this very well, first of all, the Council of Trent says that justification is not just the forgiveness of sins, which the Lutherans think, and we'd agree with them about that, but it's also the sanctification renewal of the interior person, which we would disagree with them on. Hmm. Secondly, they, there's a famous quotation from St. Augustine that Luther used, which does say that man is at one time, simul justus et peccator, at one time justified and a sinner. Well, Luther interpreted that to mean that we're actually a sinner but only considered just. We interpret it to mean that we're actually just but have a tendency to sin. Okay. Makes sense to me. Appreciate that, and uh, thank you so much for your question. It is Open Line Thursday here on EWTN Radio. 
want to let you know about a wonderful show we've got cooked up for you on Sunday afternoons at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. It's The Catholic Sphere. And this week, tackling the very interesting question, at least to me, what exactly is Catholic Radio? This week, Jack Williams talks with leaders of Catholic radio stations across the Midwest, including Mike Jones of Ave Maria Radio, Bill Masserly of St. Gabriel Radio out of Columbus, and Dave Vacheres of Annunciation Radio based in Toledo. It's a great show. Check it out Saturday or Sunday afternoon rather at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. It's the Catholic Sphere only on EWTN radio and television. Back to the phones right now. Let's go to uh, Jay Lee, a first-time caller in Connecticut. Hey, Jay Lee, what's on your mind today? Hello. So me and my husband do the natural planning. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my question is basically a question off of one of the questions the priest has answered. Okay. Um, and we have two children, and my husband still wants to have more children. I'm currently doing my master's online, and I just don't feel ready for another child. I don't know if I'll really ever be, like, if I want more children. And I was just kind of wondering if that would be, like, a sin of, like, we already have two children, but I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm open to more kids. Well, what I would say is this. First of all, don't make a lifetime commitment to this because you change your mind a little on this. You could change it again once your master's is over. Uh, secondly, you don't, again, have to have attention to have a child in every action, but you can't use contraception. That's the issue. So if you're going to do it, you have to use natural family planning. Which she yes. is, yes. Yes, but I mean, that means you have to continue to do that, in other words. And um, as I understand it, when I taught natural family planning years ago, unfortunately, there were a lot of dis- dissident groups all the, all the Catholics were disagreeing on what you needed to do for that. Mm. But I've been told, not being a woman, I've been told that body temperature, cervix opening, and uh, mucus uh, being opaque or clear are three of the signs, the most important signs. And that if all three are positive for uh, being able to have relations, that normally this is as effective, in a sense, as a pill would be or something like that. Okay. okay. And of course, the pill's an abortifacient, too. Dirty little secret. And the condom is, of course, I mean, you know, it's artificial devices to allow the male to have his pleasure irresponsibly and the woman to not have to deal with the responsibilities of the action. Clan, congratulations on having two children. Uh, we love that. We need, you know. Yes. But I, Understand how you'd like to space it more now, but don't make it a lifetime decision. There you go. Jaylee, thank you so much uh, for your call. Lines are open right now at 833-288-EWTN. Maybe maybe get a few more calls in here before we have to call it a day. 833-288-3986. Interesting uh, email here from Scott. He says, I cannot reconcile the idea that a God who is all-loving, merciful, and powerful has a list that has all these demands we must adhere to. Can you help me with that? Yes, I can. Uh, I don't quite know why obedience seems to be contrary to love in most people's minds. Yeah. The fact that we have certain things we have to do in order to experience God's love, I, I don't know what the origin of this is. 
Because, you know, obedience and love go together. They're both two wills uh, joining together on a common good. And so a person who's truly loving also has to be obedient to certain norms, certain rules. Mm -hmm. And a person who's not obedient can't be loving. So the point is, people always, when they talk about things, well, I understand it is a rule. I've had people tell me that. I said, it's more than a rule. It's an expression of what it means to be a human being. It's not just a rule yeah. like traffic, you know, being at 35 miles an hour. No, <laughs> it's, it's you. It's expressing you. Why do you resent the fact that people want you to be you? <laughs> yeah. Human being. The likeness of God, the, the divine spark, the whole thing. So, uh, look, the loving God may, it, it expresses those rules because they're not rules. He's expressing to you how to act as a human being. Okay. Appreciate that. Uh, Chris is watching us on YouTube this afternoon. Chris says, does one have to go to confession if you miss one weekly Mass? And are you allowed to receive the body of Christ? Father? Uh, I find this a very strange question because the missing of the Mass, not no, hardly anybody goes to weekly Mass. Oh, you mean on Sunday? I think that's Sunday, I think that's what Chris means, yeah. Yes, okay, if you mean Sunday, yes, because the commandment is, remember, keep holy the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And what has replaced the Sabbath rest for us, or add, added to it, is the connection to the holy sacrifice of the Mass, by which the world is recreated, in which the God who loves us enough to die for us asks us to be present at his sacrifice once a week. I always tell people, suppose uh, I said I loved you to a woman. Well, will you come to visit my house? Oh, no. Mm -mm. no I don't, I'm too busy. Well, uh, are you going to um, make an effort if I need you to come? To, no. Uh -uh. No. Uh, I might come or might not come. Now, that doesn't sound like a very loving person no, to me. No, no. But if you're head over heels in love with God, once a week is all he asks of you. And I enjoyed this mime they had. You mean, you know, they had uh, during COVID yeah. where it has Green Bay and these people in the stands and they're covered with snow, <laughs> ice, and a football game. And it says, okay, you can come to this, but you can't come to church. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the things that people will go through to go to a football game. Sure. But why do I have to go to church anyway? Because it's God's house. If you love God, wouldn't you want to go to his house like you would a woman? Absolutely. Or a man? Absolutely. Love. Appreciate that. And uh, Chris, thanks for checking us out today on YouTube. Here now, Tom in Maryland, listening on Sirius XM, Channel 130. Hello, Tom. What's on your mind today, sir? Hey, guys. How are you all doing? Howdy. Um, so just a comment on the uh, bankruptcy thing again. Uh -huh. uh, I'm, I'm an investigator, and I've investigated a lot of people who have gone bankrupt. And there, there's just a couple points you made. People can abuse the law, and they can cheat and, and take uh, – and actually not even uh, break the law, but just cheat the spirit of the law. And that's still stealing. So it doesn't really – you know, um, uh, they, they – they, just because she knows somebody who she believes may have abused it. You know, um, a lot of times you don't know all the facts and, you know, she may have been a little bit um, jealous of that. And that's, that's 
I guess, understandable. But mm-hmm. bankruptcy mm-hmm. Is, is a legal uh, process that can be abused. Um, and, and that's just kind of something to think about. I've seen it a lot. And the other thing is, uh, just on your last caller, I mean, if I'm sick and I can't go to mass, that's not a sin, right? And if I'm, for example, my job forces me to work, that's not necessarily a mortal sin. It's, it's the, you know, the situation of my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of an important distinction. Okay. Father? Uh, Well, let me just thank you very much. I presumed that people knew that if it was impossible to go to mass, it says through your own fault. And people asked at the beginning of the show what a mortal sin was. And I said, full knowledge and consent. Well, obviously, if you have a broken leg or you're ill, you don't have consent. So, no, you're right. It isn't a mortal sin. But I assumed he was talking about someone who knew what he was doing and wanted to know why he had to go to mass, period. Regarding the bankruptcy things, what you say is very true. But anything can be abused, you know. And what I was trying to emphasize was what the good purpose of the law was when it's not being abused and why it exists. And my impression was that the person thought it was never going to be uh, a good, have a good purpose. And it was always going to be abused. Now, I could be wrong about that, Mm. but uh, I don't think that's true. So, but I appreciate the clarification. Thank you so much for it, Tom. We do appreciate that. Here is Leroy now listening in New Orleans on the EWTN app. Hey, Leroy, what's on your mind today? How you doing? Uh, I heard a mention that lust, uh, you said, you know, a man should lust after a woman. But I, I thought Jesus said don't lust behind a woman. It's like a marriage, you should lust around behind another woman. Because lust really a desire for a woman it is a natural inborn uh, uh, instinct. You know, animals lost after males, animals lost after female animals, and, and humans lost after women. I mean, so lust or uh, desire for the opposite sex is inborn by God, put that in, in all animals, including humans. So what, what's meant by that? It's all lust. Okay, Father? And no, it's not all lust. The sexual urge is different than lust. The sexual urge, first of all, is founded in human beings. Animals don't lust, by the way. Uh, is founded in human beings by the recognition of giving yourself as a gift and being received as a gift to another. It's expressed then in sexuality. Lust is when all you're interested in is taking the gift of self from another person to satisfy your own pleasures, regardless of who they are, regardless of their ability to give this gift, uh, and forcing yourself, in a sense, either through manipulation or even physical violence, to take the gift of self from another, instead of allowing them the glory of giving themselves to you. So there's there are no such thing as lust in animals. The, it's true, sexual urge is a part of their being, but not with us. The sexual urge is a part of our being in the sense that we have a natural desire that arises in us in puberty to go out of ourselves to the good of another. That, of course, has to be tempered and disciplined, and that's why you have to learn how to deal with it in puberty. If you just give in to it, you'll never learn how to deal with it. Yeah. And the sexual revolution 
where uh, lust, uh, that attitude that lust is inevitable and it's also natural is one of the things that's destroyed the whole family in our world today. Yep, for sure. Leroy, thanks so much for your call. Appreciate that. Here is Jane now in Pensacola listening on the great Guadalupe radio. Jane, what is your question today? Um, my question is, when I grew up, if the Holy um, Eucharist, the, the wafer was dropped, on the floor, there was a process of what you should do. And last week at church, uh, the individual dropped it, picked it up, and put it in their mouth. And I thought, shouldn't something been done about that? Uh, did uh, did they do anything after mass? Did you notice anything after mass? Normally, oh, what you do is you oh. clean the place. Yeah, uh, normally. Yeah. Do you know if anything was done, like uh, clean the floor or anything like that? You can't Jane? do it right during no. that. You have to do it after that. No, mm-hmm. no. Uh-uh. Um, yeah. And I, I, I belong to the Altar Society. At our meeting the other night, I asked, I said, isn't there a process? Shouldn't something have been done? I mean, after you know, mass. but. Yeah, but nothing was ever done. Okay. So, so yeah. what's the process then, Father? Well, normally now you just have a purificator and you go out and you wipe the place and you might even leave the purificator on for a while for it to dry. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure the articles there, yeah. So there you go. Jane, you can pass that on to your, your group there, your uh, altar sodality, or I think that's a, a fantastic thing. Father, we don't have enough time to get to another call, so if I could uh, ask for your blessing, please, and then we're uh, kind of out the door here. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Brian Malady, thank you so much, and we'll be praying for your safe travels, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And don't forget, uh, for everybody listening, we do this program five days a week, open line with a different host each and every day of the week. Now, tomorrow is another, another host. And tomorrow, of course, it's going to be our Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, who will answer all things theological Just give us a call tomorrow at this same time. On behalf of our uh, wonderful team here, that would be Michael McCall and um, Matt Gabinski and uh, Jeff Burson. I'm Tom Price. Uh, Jack will be back with us ASAP. Have a great day. See you next time here on EWTN's Open Line. God bless.